0: Hello, humans. Thank you for listening to the program. I hope you love the previous episodes, and I hope you love the episodes ahead. Here's what's going on in the background. We are growing, but in order to keep growing and keep going, we're going to have to find a way to make this sustainable. I still believe this entire project can be audience funded for now, but times are getting really tight. It's getting a little harder to turn down the sweet, delectable, temptress that is advertisements. Here's what went into the single episode you're listening to. First, we had to figure out a way to convince Frank to come on the program. Then we had to find a time we could both do it. Then I took a dirt cheap flight to New York, went to Frank's house, recorded the episode, came home, edited the podcast for two days, paid for the music license to use this song, and made all the images and things to go along with the social media. It takes about five days of work to make a single episode, and there's no way I could have done that with a full-time job. We're not some radio production company. We don't have a big budget. Everything I just mentioned was paid for from audience members who pitched in what they could, and I need to figure out a way to pay the people behind it. As we grow, the bloodthirsty advertisers look closer and closer in the shadows, circling us like sharks, offering to pay for this program so they can feast upon your ear holes and sell you things you probably don't need. It doesn't have to be that way. We can keep this program completely independent with the help of listeners pitching in a few bucks a month. The dirty devil advertisers wanna give us $25 for every thousand listeners so they can spam this program. They value your time by the thousands and think it's only worth the price of a hardcover book. And for the price of a latte, once a month, you and four other people can save a thousand listeners from an advertisement. You, human, have the power today to do one thing that dramatically impacts the future of this program. So what do you say? Let's fucking do it. Let's keep this audience funded and let's keep producing mood-altering substance that will nourish your soul. If you think that your contribution doesn't matter or that other people will contribute and you don't have to worry about it, You're wrong. Only a third of 1% of our listeners contribute, and I think we're better than that. A tenth of 1% writes us a review, and that's free. So pitch in. Take a few minutes to do it. Say, you know what? I can spend $5 a month to try and help this keep going. We have more projects ahead. The only thing holding us back is resources. So go to www.patreon.com slash Human. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash HelloHuman. And just pitch in whatever you can. It can be a dollar a month, literally. And uh, my sincerest apology to any advertisers who end up bailing us out in the future if that's the way we need to go. Here's the program you actually tuned in for. Today's episode was supposed to be about food. After all, Frank's a chef, restaurateur. He has an amazing Instagram with lots of recipes and tips and meals you can make. And so I went to the interview with a bunch of notes of questions I thought I would ask and answers that he would be good at, and it turned into something completely different. I don't want to spoil it, but there's a point in the interview where I just end up closing my notes because it clearly became something different. Frank's way of life goes way beyond food. It goes into every day, into the people you interact with. And so... I don't want to spoil what it's about. I want you to just see the moment unfold when I realize, "Whoa, this is something else entirely." So let's just jump right in. My name's Sam Lamont. This is the How to Human podcast, a production of Hello Humans, and our guest today is Frank Prizanzano, restaurateur, chef, and awesome human being. All hey, right. Frank. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Good to meet you, Sam. Pleasure. Good to meet you. So uh, just to get started, uh, who are you? Tell us who you are, how you got to here, where where we are now.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I mean, I started as a kid, uh, you know, at my grandmother's sides, you know, growing up in Queens, Long Island. And, you know, I kind of had a sense that I was, you know, I was eventually going to be in food, you know, because our whole lives revolved around food when we were growing up.
0: Professionally or just family cooking?
1: Mostly family cooking, you know, but my great-grandparents had restaurants in Italy, so I always had that in my lineage as well, even though no one here was really doing that. It was kind of like I kind of, I mean, from a very young age, my grandmothers were very good cooks, and there was really no one in the family that kind of, you know, that kind of took a shine to it, so they had their traditional recipes and all this kind of stuff, and Someone had to carry it on. It just kind of became me by default almost, you know, because <laughs> no one else really, you know, had the aptitude for it, I guess. And then when I was 12 years old, we traveled to Italy, my, uh, my grandmother and I, and my brother, to the south of Italy. And we, I had already had the traditions. So when we, when we kind of arrived there, it was like, you know, it was like an aha moment, really, you know, because all of a sudden everything that we were doing at home, I saw where it was coming from, you know. I saw why we did the things that we did. And I think at on that trip, because we spent 52 days in Italy at 12 years old. This is back in 1978. So Italy was a lot different than it is now, you know. And it was very rural and it was very rustic. And it was very beautiful. And my uh, my grandfather had a, a huge masseria in Puglia that we were actually... The reason we were heading to Italy was because he had just died and we had to do something with all of his property. And I was really upset because I wanted to keep it, but there was no one to take care of it really. So we went to see it and it was kinda, you know, bittersweet because I kind of saw all these things that I was not gonna be able to, you know, retain. But, you know, the cooking aspect of it was just it was just a constant epiphany after epiphany for me because I had the real Italian oil the real Italian olive oil, you know, from Puglia was, like, in my hands. I was seeing where they were pressing it. You know, I was seeing all the, all you know, the, I was seeing them making the wines. And it was just, like, you know, it was a really big impression on me. And, you know.
0: Yeah, my mom, my mom couldn't cook. Uh, no. So, I, I grew up on snack platters. Mm-hmm. They'd be, like, baby carrots and, like, a bunch of snacks. But so, I'm wondering, growing up, uh, cooking these meals and cooking being such a big part of how your family spent time together... Sure. Uh, what about it so my question to you is w- when you go into cooking it's a passion project right yeah, it's not no. a, it's not like get rich quick 100% you know <laughs> <100% passion laughs> you're not you're not pride. thinking about how you're going to no, no. make it in the world and so i'm wondering what about uh, the the family dynamic or the way it shaped you growing up drew you to it to do it professionally
1: i think it was really i took my first job in the kitchen when i was t- basically i just I just turned 13, so I took a job as a dishwasher, and that's when everything really kind of, you know, coalesced for me, because I was always wondering, every time we went to a restaurant, I'm like, how do they do this? Like, how do they serve all these people? You know, because I'm cooking at home, you know, for my family, I'm, you know, making a little pasta pomodoro, and, you know, that's a bit of a challenge even for me, and I'm like, how can they possibly, you know, coordinate all this? So, when I finally got a job in a restaurant, and I was working as You know, a dishwasher, I was just like transfixed. I was like, I was watching. like, okay, tickets, that's how they do it. Like, they, they write everything down on tickets. And then, you know, the tickets sit behind the line. And then, you know, they coordinate, you know, how everything comes out. So I became even more addicted to cooking because I was like, wow, this is hard. Like, this is not easy to do. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that once... I need to figure things out. Like, I'm super curious. So that became an obsession for me. Like, how is, this, how is this possibly done? And then I started thinking of all the restaurants I've eaten in. And I started thinking, well, I ate in a diner. Okay, so how do they coordinate all these hamburgers and all these eggs? You know what I'm saying? I worked in a pizzeria. I'm like, how do they coordinate the pizza? How do they coordinate all the pasta? You know, So I became kind of really interested in how it's all done. And, you know, I was making money which was like, I mean, at a very young age, I mean, I was making, you know, $2.25 an hour. So I was, I was working, you know, during the summers, I was working 60, 70 hours because there was no one watching over, you know, children and stuff at that time. You know what I mean? It was like, nobody cared. And I was obsessed with it. So I wanted to work as, you know, much as possible. And I was obsessed also with, I was obsessed with albums. I was obsessed with Music, so this was an opportunity for me to be able to go out and buy as much music as I wanted too. So it just kind of all was happening at the same time, and I mean, I've always kind of been like a businessman because when I was a kid, I had t- I had two paper routes on Long Island. I had the Daily News, and I had I had, I had the Daily News in the morning, and I had Newsday in the afternoon. So when I took the job in the kitchen as a dishwasher, I hire, I actually hired my friends, you know, to cover my uh, you know newspaper routes. So, I I, I didn't want to give them up. So, I was already with employees Ah. when I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old. Grab the dogs, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that in.
0: That's (laughs) fine. We were were at the dishwashing. Yeah.
1: So, you know, so, I mean, I was washing dishes and I was moving up at that point, too, because I was good. I was very fast. And... I mean, I started learning how to peel garlic in, like, large quantities, how to, you know, how to clean calamari, and, like, it just started, you know, to steamroll from there. And, I mean, I became less interested in school also. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I was a B student, and, you know, like, every time I would get out of school, I'd run right to work. You know, so it was like I was just always trying to fit in the restaurant. You know, like You know, like, how can I get there more hours? You know, how can I learn more? And I just kept, you know, switching, you know, from – I was working at a pizzeria and then after that I was working in a, you know, from a pizzeria. I went to a, you know, to like a little bit of a higher end, you know, Italian restaurant and it just kept going from there. And I just, you know, never stopped. And I kept going back to Italy and it just, I mean, it was like, it, it was almost like it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even a, a decision really. It was just like what I had to do. It was, it was really very, it was very natural and it just, you know, it just happened. And, you know, like I was so interested in restaurants and, you know, how they worked. And I was like always going to open a restaurant. Like, I was I was always thinking, when am I going to be ready to have my own place? When am I going to be able to be a chef too? When am I going to have my own kitchen? So when I was as soon as I graduated high school, I was like, I got to get into this. I have to you know, my parents really wanted me to go to college. So I was like, well, I'm not going to college. So I was like, well, what about culinary school? You know, like I was like, will that satisfy you you know, my parents, because then, you know, they looked at me like I was going to be like a servant if I was a chef at that <laughs> yeah. at that time, because there were no celebrity chefs back then. There right. was I mean, you know, like, I mean, it was like, why do you, why would you want to slave behind a stove your whole life? You know well, what
0: and They're doing, I mean, they are, they're doing yeah. long days. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, today, yeah. uh, they're not, unless you're like an executive chef, you're not making a exactly. ton of money. You're working really hard.
1: Exactly. It's very hard. And, you know, I had taken IQ tests and all this stuff, because, you know, my mom was a teacher, so... She saw my potential, and she was like, how can this be it for you, you know? And, you know, the old Italians, you know, they wanted everyone to be doctors and lawyers, you know, they were all immigrants, you know, they came here so we could all become doctors and lawyers, you know? And it was like, you know, Chef was not in, you know, their, you know, wheelhouse, and I was like, well, that's what I'm going to be. So, you know, so they were like, okay, well, at, at least go to school for it, you know? So I went to the College Institute of America, and I started when I was like, I had just turned 18. So I was very young up there you know there was I was you know, like one of the youngest students you know in you know in my class, and you know I graduated at the top of my class when I was basically twenty, so I was already way ahead of the game and when I graduated i I went back to Long Island and I had my own kitchen by the time I was twenty one years old I had my own you know you know my own staff so and i that and, at, and at, and at that point, also, you know, I was making you know the most money I've ever made. So I was a, like a you know, restaurant
0: that you owned or working for someone else? I was
1: working for someone in Long Island. Uh, it was a place called actually that's a place that's in Manhasset that's still there. It's called La Cocchia, which means the scallop. And it was really funny because it was an it was a French restaurant owned by three Italian guys. <laughs> <laughs> so they were calling all the Italian dishes French names. So, it was really funny. I'm like, this is an Italian dish, guys. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We call it a French name. Everyone, you know, everyone loves it. But it was a really good place because they were the owners and they were the waiters and they were on the floor. So, they took care of everybody, this is the everybody themselves. This the best kind of bosses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, they had a real, you know, they. Ha- I mean, we're talking about, you know, Manhasset is, you know, full of money. You know, it's full of Jewish people that have money, white Anglo-Saxons that have money. You know what I'm saying? So, it was like we had this really tight... Regular clientele, which also, you know, really, you know, I learned a lot from those guys because they hand, they, they took care of everything, everything by hand themselves. Every complaint, everything that happened, you were talking to an owner. You know, what I'm saying it was like, you know, and that's why the place worked. And you know, like I ran the kitchen. It was, you know, my first kitchen that I ever ran. It was a blast for me. It was absolute blast, and I was addicted at that point. You know, what I mean, I was a workaholic at that time. I mean, I was, I was. I'd go in early just because I wanted to be there, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I was doing like 70, 80 hours, you know, easily and loving every minute. So, and then I just kept working from there. I mean, I ended up, I worked at Leco here for a while and then my meat purveyor told me about a guy, this guy, Richie Gertz, who owned a place in Huntington Station called Panama Hatties, which is actually still there. And he wanted to turn it into the best restaurant in Long Island. And, you know, at that time, I I had worked for this guy, Nicola Zangi, who was one of the best chefs in Long Island. And, you know, I was kind of his protege. So after I left him, you know, the papers knew of me, you know, the periodicals knew of me. I was pretty famous on Long Island at that time. So when I took the place over we got a lot of press, I did my whole, I completely changed the menu, I did the whole place over again, I was there for about a year and a half, you know, two years, we got, you know, three stars from the New York Times, you know, it was kind of a big deal, and, uh, but I was unsatisfied, because I wanted to be in Manhattan, I wanted to be in the city, and I was already, I was already at that time traveling, you know, back and forth to the city, you know, to party, I was going to clubs and stuff, so, I was like, this is the place where I really want to make it. I'm not satisfied you know, making it in you know, Long Island. So I, went, I started to look for jobs in the city, but no one would hire me as a chef from Long Island. I mean, it was just, that's, just, that's, no just, that's just how it was. <laughs> I had no clout whatsoever. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to take a big pay cut here. And I'm going to have to work as a line cook again. You know, I got to prove myself here now. I've already proved myself in Long Island. So that was really probably one of the most, you know, incredible things that I've done was, I mean, I went from, you know, making, you know, $100,000 a year to making, you know, hourly wages as a line cook. And I started working for, you know, David Burke. I don't know anyone. Chef. I live under a rock. Yeah, anyway. So I worked for David at the Park Avenue Cafe. He had just gotten extraordinary at the Uh, The River Cafe uh, from the New York Times. So he was doing, I mean, he could do whatever he wanted to do, basically. So he he took over a place on 65th and and Park Avenue called the Park Avenue Cafe. And I went to him and I showed him my resume and he hired me as a line cook. But within a couple of weeks, he realized my aptitude and uh, he offered me me a, a sous chef position. So I was like, I really don't want to take a sous chef position, to be honest with you, because I don't really want any responsibility. I wanted my own kitchen again. I just wanted to be able to, you know, you know, find a way to get there. So then I got an opportunity in Miami, which is really what I, I thought I wanted to be in Miami. It was really beautiful down there. You know, at that time also, I was single, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I went down to Miami, and uh, I worked for another chef. Norman Van Aken, another pretty famous chef, and while I was down there, that was when I I really started to realize that I had that I was just as good of it as as any of these chefs that were you know that were famous. I just wasn't famous, so I was like, you know what? Now's the time. I was like, so I came back to New York from Miami, asked my dad for some money, found a little space, and I opened up my first place, you know, Frank Restaurant, which was a huge success right from the very beginning i had like lines out the door you know two and a half hour waits. i well, mean I, I was mean, I had it was waiting. it just
0: because people
1: went and the food was good or was it well it was because i was doing i was doing something that no one was doing at that time i was gonna i was i was gonna do very simple food with my high with my hot cuisine you know training i had been to culinary school i had worked for a lot of great chefs No one at, there was, I knew that there was no one with my training doing very simple Italian food. The real simple Italian food places, you know, they were kind of like, you know, trashy places. You know, they weren't really that good. The higher end places were so expensive. So there was a big discrepancy between, you know, the highest end, which was really good Italian food. And between, you know, the lowest end, which was like spaghetti pomodoro. And none of the places were Really doing any of the peasant food at a higher level, you're know saying. So when I started to do that, no one was doing spaghetti garlic and oil. No one was doing spaghetti pomodoro. No one was doing any of the traditional dishes like you know fava cicoria that I do with Frank that comes from. I mean, I had traveled Italy extensively, so I knew all this peasant food, and I knew that it could be high cuisine if I was making it myself, absolutely perfect every single time. So. That was the concept and it was gangbusters. It was like because no one was doing it and no one was making, you know, you know, rigatoni ragu, you know, with, you know, meatballs and sausage, making their own sausage, making their own meatballs, making their own sauce. You know, no one was doing that. They were buying things, you know, frozen for it and stuff like that because it was very inexpensive. So I knew that at that price point and at that quality that I'd have a line out the door. And I did. And it was immediate. Because you, like,
0: you could go to it. It wasn't like a honeymoon yeah, kind of, exactly. kind it of place. It was for
1: everybody, yeah. but yet it was the best possible quality Italian food that you could have. And that's really what Italian food is. It's simple food executed perfectly. That's what your grandmother does in your house if she's really good, which my grandmothers were. So what I did was really kind of groundbreaking because no chefs at my level of skill we're taking on lower end food. Now you see it all the time. You see, even, you know, you see high, the highest quality chefs making, you know, barbecue nowadays, you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, who's ever seen this kind of barbecue before? This kind of quality, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, now it's very common. But at that time, it really wasn't. So it really, really struck a nerve. And I was, I mean, it was, it was insane how much business we were doing. I mean, I had 23 seats at Frank when we opened up. And I was doing 200 covers on a Friday, Saturday night, 10 turns from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m. I was in the kitchen by myself with one dishwasher, okay, cranking this, you know, this really simple food out. And I saw the, I saw the hole. There was a huge hole for this kind of food. So I immediately said, I got to do a pizzeria and I got to do an Italian and I got to do a, I got to do all three main concepts in Italian food. Northern Italian food, Southern Italian food, and pizza. So I did Little Frankie's Pizza, which was, you know, my Naples pizzeria. And I did Supper, which was my Northern Italian, you know, Osteria. And it just hit like crazy. I mean, all, I, mean I did them all within four years. I opened up Frank in 1998, opened up Supper and Little Frankie's in 2002, right after the planes hit. And literally two hour waits at all all three places, right here in East Village, three blocks away from each other. So it was like just insane. It was like, you know, a huge success story. And, you know, from that point, I was making so much money and I was cash only that I started to play with everything. I started to do, you know, to work on designing things. I built all three restaurants myself with my own crews. So I started to learn about all of that. And I always wanted to build things, and I mean, I consider myself honestly. I mean, I'm an artist. I mean, I love to create. I love to create spaces. I love to, you know, to. I love to dream in, you know, three dimensions. I mean, I did this house, and I kept. I kept, you know, starting more businesses. I started a printing business, you know, to print all of all of our stuff. I started a T-shirt business. I started a, uh, a construction business. I started a furniture business because we don't. We were building all our own furniture, so we had all the tools. So I started getting all the machines. I started. I took a place out in Williamsburg. This is wow. This is like 2003. We started the furniture company, and I mean, I was just completely. I was com- completely going nuts. I was. I was in like a creative spurt, and then uh, the market crashed a little bit. Uh, The real estate market crashed and I lost a lot of money and I also got, I got sued by one of these, one of these uh, wage and hour lawsuits and I lost a lot of money on it and it hurt. And what it was, was, you know, the old restaurant, you know, systems that we had, everyone was, you know, sharing what everyone was. You know sharing out of the tip pool okay it was something that all restaurants did and we didn't really know that we weren't supposed to be doing that okay so we had managers you know sharing in the tip pool okay and all the restaurants did and everyone got hit by it John George got hit by it Boulay got hit by it Mario Batali's group got hit by it. everyone got hit by multi-million dollar lawsuits at this time so that kind of scaled me all the way back. You know, it scaled everybody all the way back. And, you know, we corrected everything, obviously. But, you know, it was a, you know, it was a major hit. It was a major wake-up call for us. I got lucky because none of my guys wanted to sign on to the lawsuit. All my employees were with me a very long time. They were all making a lot of money. And, you,
0: you were at the mercy of your guys. But I
1: was, at, I was at the mercy of my employees, really. I could have been completely taken out of business.
0: Let me let me interject a question here because it brings up something that I wanted to talk about. One of the things, I mean, so you're really well known in this. Every single person I, I talked to in the city, I said, I'm going to go interview Frank. They said, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so they, they know you. And, but one of the things that you're actually known for is your management leadership style because all the TVs are so sensualized with these kind of yeah. asshole uh, chefs. And like that's a part of their eccentric personality. Like it's some kind of virtue. Um, And then uh, it's made it into the public world that that's not the way you lead or manage. And so let's talk about the leadership.
1: Well, as I was coming up in the industry, okay, a lot of people were, you know, I was watching how chefs were, how owners were, and honestly, they're just assholes, like absolute fucking assholes. And I'm a really good employee, okay? And I was getting treated like this also, you know? And I'm like, look, this this is like a scourge here. It's like... I understand it's hard to be a restaurant owner. It's very stressful. You know, it's a very it's a very small profit margin. But it doesn't help you, you know, to be really mean to everybody. It doesn't help you to scream at your entire staff all the time and this was kind of like, you know, the way people operate. So, you know, and this was this is this was the absolute worst part was that they don't trust you. You know what I'm saying? It's like not being trusted working for someone and blatantly not being trusted. Like, right in your face, like, why would you do that to somebody who who is really good, who just walks through your door, you know what I'm saying? You're already expecting so much less from them than they're willing to give, you know? I have a story that I tell which really completely changed my life, which is going to really fit into this, is that I was driving my car. I had, this, I, I had this Oldsmobile 98 that my father gave me when I was a kid, and I was... It used to use a lot of gas, and I was driving around in upstate New York, and I couldn't find gas. It was a Sunday, okay, and I stumbled upon a gas station that said open, and I was like, oh, great, they're open, because I wasn't even going to be able to get home, and I had to work the next day, so I was going to have to, like, you know, hang out upstate until the following morning, and I was going to be late for work on Monday, so I was like, shit, what am I going to do? So, I found this gas station. I drive up, and there's nobody in the gas station, okay? Okay. One of the pumps is sitting there open. There's a basket on top of the pump. And it says, please pay for your own gas. Okay. And I sat there and I go, that is brilliant. Who is going to steal that money? You know what I mean? It's like you'd have to be the worst of the worst. Even a thief would probably not take that money. Because the gesture... Is so strong there. And th- when you trust somebody, the first time you see them like that, they're way less inclined to fuck you over, okay? They really are. And that's been my mantra since the beginning, is that you come through my door, that's yours to fuck up. I, 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 will, try, I will leave money on the table that you could steal, okay? And you probably won't take it because I did something that no one's ever done for you trusted you right when you walked through the door.
0: I had I had a mentor that you know we were talking I was upset with some of my interactions with other people and I said you know my respect my trust it's got to be earned. Yes. And he said well hold on there Sam. Like what makes trust and respect sacred is that it's a gamble. Yeah, you gamble on people, yeah. yes. and they honor your trust, yes. and that's yeah. it has to be given. Yes. You know, otherwise, it's like this—it's yeah. a, a, a sterile transaction. Yeah. If yeah. you're like waiting to trust them, yeah. rather
1: than—and yes. some people d- don't know what to do with that trust because they've never been trusted before. Even their own parents never never trusted them. I mean, that happens. You know, it's like so it becomes really a powerful gesture for people, and it's really—I mean. Most of the guys that are working for me are with me longer than 10 years now. I have the original crew. The original four people that I hired at Frank Restaurant, my first restaurant, they all still work for me. That's 20 years now they're with me. Okay? That's, because of, that's, that's because of this. That's because where no one else really was going to trust them, I took them under my wing. I showed them how to run a business, how to be chefs, how to be cooks had to be dishwashers, had to be waiters, you know, had to be hosts. And I did it with love and I did it with passion because I wanted them to learn it. And everyone that has left me, a lot of them have gone to open up their own places. And that's another thing that I never understood. Why would you be angry at someone for leaving you to go do what you do with the skills that you've taught them? This is another thing in the industry that I never understood. Why would you be upset that I want to go open up a place and yeah, my place is going to be a little like yours probably because you're the only one that I, you know, you're the one that I learned from. I'm proud of that. You know, I don't take that as a threat. They're not going to take my business away.
0: No, there's a lot to go around. There's a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: We live in New York City here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm, I mean, I always looked at it like, I'm, this is a philosophy that I'm showing you a philosophy of how to, how to live, of how to of how to run a business and also i want you to understand that i don't i i work less because of what i've done i don't have to be at the restaurants ever as a matter of fact i'm in the way i don't have a job there i set it up i taught them all the moves i set up all the systems i did all the menus i did everything i did i designed the flow in the place every single part of it so that they would succeed and then i showed them how to use all the tools and then I got out, and I let them do it, and they're empowered by that because they know that they run the show. That that fear and uh,
0: scarcity kind of my I mean, yeah. it it terrorizes the world, and it shows up in all different kind yes. of ways. I mean, it, it really does.
1: It does. It's a it's a it's a horrible thing to have to be an owner and to constantly be be concerned that someone's stealing from you. Also, it's like I don't want to think about that all the time people have stolen from me we've caught them almost immediately because everyone else can be trusted that we, that worries for me so they see it it's happened that people have literally blatantly stole from me in front of in front of other people that works for me and they're like you must be dumb dude i love working for this guy like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him right now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, it's it's almost it it never happens that more than one person steals from me at a time, for sure. And every time that's happened, it's always been somebody that just couldn't handle the trust. You know what I'm saying? And it's always a really sad moment because I'm like, you really fucked this up. Like this was a great job. You didn't realize it. And I can't tell you how many how many times we've let people go, okay, and they've come back just like I've taken people back that have stolen from me wow. because I saw in their face that they got it now. And those people still work for me now, you know, forever too. And they're some of my best employees because a second chance is even way more than they could even fathom. You know, I mean, like, you know, for me to trust them, they didn't get it. They came to me. They go, I, I didn't get it. They're crying with me. Literally. I didn't get it, Frank. Now I get it. You know, I never should have done this. I'm so sorry. I go, it's Okay. I understand, you know, like I—I mean, then I'm really sure I can trust them. You know what I'm saying? It's like—I mean—I've learned a lot through through second chances.
0: I mean, I didn't—I've—I was really screwed up uh, as as a teenager. I just—I had all my priorities backwards about what what can I get, you know? That's easy to do. Yeah, and so. when people forgive you and especially when they give you a second chance I mean that is such a better way to learn
1: it's so it's so important you know it's important for me to do that too because I'm healed also because I can't understand why they did it to me I'm like that's the other thing is I get involved in everyone's personal life okay I tell all my employees look if something is inhibiting you from you know from you know from really doing your job for me tell me what it is. I'm a man with resources, and I'm a man with wisdom. I can help you to get through it. I can lend you some money if it, if, you know, if it has to do with money. God forbid something happens to your family. You wanna let us know that. We will, we will give you the time that you need. Keep, I will keep paying you for your time, okay? And you can pay me back one of these days. You know what I'm saying? It's like we can figure it out, you know what I mean? These kind of gestures have, have created extreme loyalty. In, in all my places, and have kept the same faces in the same positions for so long. In this particular neighborhood, the East Village, everyone knows everybody. And there's nothing more powerful in a restaurant business than having the same faces every time that you walk in, recognizing you, knowing what you want, knowing where you like to sit, you know, everything, you know. This is all happening outside of me even being involved.
0: It's like remembering someone's name, too. It's like if you remember people's name, because everybody's like, hey, I'm Sam. What's your name? And they they don't listen, right? When you say their name when you're leaving, okay, nice to meet you, Frank. I mean, you see there. It's uncommon these days, which is bizarre.
1: No, I mean, that's a big part of, you know, like why we've been so successful is that we, first of all, we're a family, all of us. You know, like, I mean, when you belong, you know, to what we're doing, and you're doing your job and you give a shit, you know, there's nothing that we won't do for you. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing that we won't do for you. And we have done it. I mean, you know, like, so many times, you know, people have had problems. Just recently, <laughs> uh, you know, that really bad earthquake in Mexico? Yeah. Okay? One of my guys lost his one entire side of his family. They were in a church, okay, for a ceremony and the church collapsed on them and he lost the whole side of his family. Okay. Between the th- between the three restaurants, I said, "Whatever you guys raise for him, I'll double it." Okay, they raised three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars for this one guy, just one little. A, they didn't even know him that well, you know what I'm saying? It was like so. I, just working class guy. <laughs> working class yeah. guy. So so we gave him six grand, literally. I I gave three. The other guys gave three. I didn't have to. They they wanted to do it. Okay, they take care of their own and each each. Each restaurant is its own family, and we're a family all, to, all together. And we really watch each other's backs, and it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. I mean, it's like something I could never have imagined. And it's, you know, it's all because you know, I gave them responsibility, trusted them. They, they ended up working together for so long. that How could you not be? First of all, if you're working with someone, you're going to work out your differences within a couple of years of working with them, even if you hate each other. Eventually, you're going you know, to come around and you know, you're going to be friends. So all that stuff is completely behind us now. And what's really cool about it is that I don't even make schedules, okay? They do it themselves. I'm actually. I'm I'm, I'm having.
0: I'm having a moment right now. uh, Just watching you. I mean, it's like your your energy is kind of teaching me more than you're even saying. So I I I just want to record. I want to get it on recording of what I'm feeling right now, which is the. You seem so at ease. Oh, you yeah. have three restaurants going oh, on yeah. right now.
1: I'm, I'm the most at ease restaurant owner you'll ever meet.
0: Like, like you said, you know, you could be stolen from or there could be a big mess. And I'm feeling about how. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so, no, I've actually become uh, really good at life on life's terms. I think, <laughs> you know, I don't really edit much out of these. I like the the whole production, but I'm I'm um I'm thinking about how horrible it is to live in that kind of fear and anticipation of something happening
1: I I, I watch so many restaurant owners do it
0: and uh I mean what a terrible way to live and I get caught up in that I was just I spent the the day we're on uh like uh, at the athletic Club and Metropolitan Club I'm having a ton of financial insecurity meeting all these Harvard guys and all this but the the fear of being broke yeah. is way scarier than actually just realizing, oh, oh wow, I got to do some something financially right now. Yeah. Like the the fear of being stolen from, which is relentless, 24/7, yeah. is way worse than getting the call, "Hey, the till is short. Yeah. We got to figure this yeah. out." <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. No, I mean it's We always that way? I mean, look, first of all, you know, I'm not that attached, you know, to money. I mean, I, I don't give a shit about it. I blow it like crazy and you know and I blow it on my family. I blow it on my friends. You know, I'm not very good at saving it. You know, I mean I've I've always I've always looked at it like I'll just make more, you know, because I've been I've been able to you know, since I'm very young, I've always made money and I've always been able to make money and I've and I've always been able to scale it back. You know what I'm saying? Like I've never had a problem, like I mean I've gotten very extravagant and then I have scaled it all the way back, you know, because that's not really what makes me happy. You know, what makes me happy is doing projects with people. You know, collaborating with finishing, people, you know, feels great. You know, finishing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I mean, what I mean, what what I get the most kick out of is that I've I mean, I've opened up 8 restaurants here in New York, okay. One I closed, okay. Okay, three I sold, and my original 3 I you know, I still have open. So you know, I've been through all of that, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, really, the juice for me is conceptualizing, building, designing interiors. And then, because I do it all. I'm the key guy. So it's like, I mean, I don't hire anyone. I don't hire a designer. I don't hire an architect. I don't hire a, I don't hire a consultant. I don't hire a chef. I do the, 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 you know, the entire thing myself. So, I mean, I'm like a director of, you know, restaurants. I mean, like, I do the whole thing. And it's, and it's what I was built to do. And it's a joy for me. And you can see I'm joyful throughout it, so that gets really infectious. You know when you open a place up because everyone can see how really, really how how much I love it, and it's so much fun for me. Well, it's an act of that, it's yeah. an act of trusting yourself
0: yes. too. You know where it's like, yes. oh, you know, Taking like you're, well, you're trusting yourself to be like, I know exactly what I want to see, and I know I can build it. And you know there might be a yeah. design snob that thinks yes. I did something wrong, but this is this yes. is my place, and I know I yes. can build it.
1: And I. The way I figure out how to do things is by talking about them, which is perfect for opening up a restaurant because I need to talk to everyone about why we're doing this. My waiters need to know the whys of everything. They need to be able to, you know, to go to the table like me and explain why we're doing this and, you know, to do it without ego. You know what I'm saying? It's like. I come up with concepts because I know it's gonna be great for the people in that neighborhood. They're gonna have something that they don't have. So the excitement about that is that this is a privilege, actually. This is really something that you're gonna want to come here a lot because we have this, 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 and this, and no one's really doing that around here. So you know, like when you feel that, you know that strongly about your concept, it's infectious. I mean, I mean you know, I'm like you know like everyone's gonna want to try it. And that's been the most fun that I've ever had has been like, opening places because it's like I go in and I spend, like, say, say, you know, like six months building out the interior, myself, in there, construction manager, every single day, watching everybody build everything. And then it slowly, you know, moves into hiring the help. And then I sit and I do wine tastings with everybody, and I do food tastings with everybody. And, and you know, I'm I'm heavily into all of this, and I know everything about it. And I'm like, I've, I've been doing it since I'm, you know, 11 years old, really. So it's like it's just – it just comes out of me. And I'm just having so much fun, obviously. And I don't give a shit if it works, honestly. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, it hasn't worked out exactly the way I wanted. But the problem for me has been that, and I've I've had to learn this lesson, the you know, the hard way is that partners get in my way. Okay. Because I'm coming at this from such a pure angle. And my time is so precious to me that if I got to stop, and explain to my partners why I'm doing everything all the time. It takes the fun out of it for me. And those are the places that I sold because I had a partner, and you know, like they needed to know everything that was going on, and I didn't have the time or the energy. You know, I mean, I'm you know sorry to say that, but that's just how I am. Or like, you know, it's like I need to have. So that's why I've always gone back to you know, to, you know, to my original you know three places because I opened them on my own. I have no partners involved in them. I'm the only voice, and that's how, that's how things work for me. Otherwise, I, they don't.
0: I think part of that is is pretty necessary to your survival, though, because you're not making um, traditional business savvy decisions. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like you have a, you have savvy. a huge online following, yeah. Yeah. and there's no book, and there's no TV yeah. show. You're a well known guy. You could do yes. that, and so. It, if you have a partner, they're going to go, he's stupid. Yes. But you, I, it just seems like you're following what yeah. feels, you know, and it's like you're not doing this, okay, let's let's figure out a way to turn a, a $11 meal into a $50 meal. You know, you're going, I'm going to do the class, right? Like yeah. an investment bank isn't going to be like, wait, you want to cook, cook you know plain with, food? <laughs>
1: yeah. You know what? The biggest problem was that they didn't trust people the way I do. That was the biggest problem is that I, they thought I was crazy to trust people like I did. They thought I was crazy to let my employees drink at the end of their shift, which is another thing that I do. That, that, I mean, I trust them to finish up their shift and sit at the bar and, and have a few beers, you know, and I buy them a few beers. You know what I'm saying? They're filling my bar with this good energy that they worked there. They're getting to know the people that that ate there that night. That's good for me. That's not bad for me. If my chefs get to know my clients, my clients come in now even more than ever. You know what I'm saying? I never understood what the problem with that was. If someone drinks too much, we deal with it. I mean, what's the problem? Oh, well, what if someone gets drunk and, you know, you know, someone does this? Well, we have insurance. I'm like, I mean, you know what I mean? I'm like, I can't live my life worried about what might happen if one of my employees drinks too much. You know what I'm saying? It happens. It's still going to happen even if we tell them they can drink. They still drink. You know what I'm saying? If you tell them they can't drink, that's when they really will fuck up because there's no responsibility behind it. They, they know it's a privilege that I give them and they don't want to lose it. You know what I'm saying? So they don't abuse it. And when they do, we have a discussion about it and we figure it out. You know what I'm saying? But it's like those are the kind of things that I, that I had problems with my partners about. I'm sitting down and I'm arguing. You're taking away the vibe from this place is, is what you're doing by creating a wall between us and our employees. You're putting them down and you're saying that we got to be up here. And no, we got to be on the same level with them. Okay they got to understand that they're important to this place, but they are replaceable. I mean, everyone is, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, like there's a certain, I don't know what to say about that, but they're just, you know, everyone can have a conversation with me and I sit down and I listen, you know, and if someone's wrong and I know they're wrong, I'm going to let them have it about it. You know what I'm saying? If there's a little bit of ambiguity there, we're going to have to have a discussion about why is there ambiguity here? Like, what do we need to do to make sure that you understand, you know, in the future? And, you know, I have the gift of gab, too. I can, you know, I, I, can, I can sit there and I can talk anything out with anyone and I can convince them that I'm right because most of the time I am right because I've thought about this a thousand times over and I've been in the industry since I'm a kid. So I've thought about all these things that other restaurateurs won't do and I've thought about why I want to do them and what might go wrong with that. So when I'm having that conversation, I've already been through it in my head, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, it's just... When you concentrate so much energy in one field and you love it so much, you become very good at it. I mean, there's just no other way around it. If you really care about it, you're going to get good at it. And that's what happened. I became very good at it and I love everybody. I really do. I have a genuine affection for everyone that comes in and puts hours in for me. I mean, I, I, I'm i not there, so I'm grateful. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I love what you,
0: <laughs> what you said about, you know, why they... It's good for them to hang out. It, it's so nice to be known. Uh, this is yeah. why I go to one mechanic, I have one barber. The I, same I, way. I wrote the immigration Yeah, I wrote the immigration papers for my yeah. barber. you know he yeah. will let me cut in the front of the line. Sam, how are you?" Yes. Uh, and it's so nice to just have you know my, I'm friends with all my baristas. Like we go gar- grab lunch together on their lunch break.
1: That's a quality of life that you have that other people don't have because they don't do that kind of stuff. It's yeah. really sad to me. There's a lot
0: of isolation. You yes. know, where it's just, I think there's a lot of people too, just really wrapped up in, like I said, fear. So they're wrapped yeah, up in their fear. own problems. They're, like they're every afraid. time I'm they're not afraid. well, it's generally because I'm thinking too much about my own problems rather than yes. other people. Like, you know, it would be easy for you to be talking and me to just be thinking about my own shit, you know? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. Well, you see, that's the whole thing too. It's like when you're not in the moment, you know, that's one of the things that I'm really always, you know, trying to, you know, to teach my guys. It's like, like, for instance, you know, when we do like, one of my favorite things to do is wine tastings with my staff, okay? Because that's, when we're sitting there and we're drinking wine together and we're discussing wine, that is, the, that's the way I want them to be on the floor at all times. Like they're drinking wine with their customers, you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of a feeling of like, we're involved in this experience here. And this is food and wine. This is That's what this is all about. It's like, when you get into that kind of a mood after you've had a couple glasses of wine, and I mean, I say this to my employees too, and everyone thinks I'm completely nuts. If you're having a hard day on the floor, have a drink. Okay? You know what I mean? Take care of yourself. Have a glass of wine. You had a bad morning, you had a fight with your girlfriend, whatever it is. You gotta get on now you're on the floor, you're going to be serving, you know, my guys do an incredible amount of volume, you know, they do like, you know, sometimes each each individual waiter does a hundred covers, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you got to be on, you know, you, you can't be like holding your head down, not smiling. People pick up on that Yeah. And, and, they're, and they immediately think that you don't like them. You see, that's what, a lot of waiters don't realize their face tells a client so many things and they haven't even done anything to them, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm like, have a glass of wine before you shift. Have a glass of wine with a client. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, I encourage my guys to keep track of the wine list by, if they have someone that comes in that's into wine, for instance, right? Say to them, how is that? We, I, I, I haven't tried it yet. And I'm just curious how it's, you know, how it's drinking. 99% of the time, the client will say, get a glass, try some with us. And I encourage that. I'm like, do it. I'm like, how, first, I want you to keep track of the wine. Second, I, I want you to create a, a, a relationship with, with our guests. We cultivate regulars. That's what, what we do because we're a simple Italian restaurant that you can come in and have a spaghetti pomodoro five times a week. And it's, it, it would be, you know, a cheap meal, basically. I mean, you know, our spaghetti pomodoros are like $16, $15. They started out at $8 when I first opened. So, you know, they've almost doubled at this point, but still, it's still one of the cheapest spaghetti pomodoros you can find with all those incredible ingredients. It's, this, you know, spaghetti from Italy cooked to order, all, all you know, all these kinds of things. That's what we do. We're like a cafeteria, basically. We we are servicing our neighborhood with everyday food. So you need to have a relationship with them, you know what I'm saying? And every time someone complains, I look at it as a, as a, a golden opportunity to bring them into the fold because... If they're willing to tell us something was wrong, I'm very thankful for that because a lot of people don't. That's love, too. They just come in and they don't give a shit. They'll never come back again. If they care about the place, they're going to reach out to me. And that's what's been so amazing about social media for me is that everyone's talking to me. Everyone tells me when something's wrong because I make it okay to tell me. You know, a lot of owners make it not okay. Like, they get defensive, they right? They take it personally. They take it personally. I don't take it personally. Mistakes happen all the time. We're, we're serving thousands of people. You know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's impossible for us not to make mistakes. The, when we do make a mistake, they reach out to me. My fixing it by hand with them creates a lifetime client. Lifetime client. They can't believe I did that. They're like, oh my God, this guy's got so busy. Why is he talking to me about this? Why is he even, why is, why does he even care? It's because I, you know, I let you down. You came in. It. it, it, what did it take me on social media? It took me 15, 20 seconds to like write you something to ask you for your, you know, for your email. Please email me what happened. I really want to know They email. Me, I invite them back in, buy them another one. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, look, I, w- I want you to have it the right way on me. They bring their friends in. They're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe this guy did this. Why would he do this? You know, for just one meal. You know, you know. I mean, he serves so many people. That's the, that's the juice for people. That so that opportunity of complaints. I look forward to every complaint. I'm like, every complaint is a chance to create a regular guest, a regular client, someone who will trust us now with their family for their birthday for whatever it is because they know they got a line to me and you know they know that if something's like very wrong while they're sitting down people are you know hitting me up on instagram saying you know hey i'm having a bad experience and i'm like oh i'm so sorry what's going on you know and i'll find out what's going on usually it's a it's you know someone just made a mistake or you know or you know we overbooked something or you know you know whatever it is i mean it happens every week i mean you know i mean we can't control everything and you know you know but it's This philosophy of hospitality that is missing from a lot of hospitality businesses, which I don't get. I'm like, why is it a privilege for me to come in and eat at your restaurant? Why are you treating me like it is? Why do I have to sit down and listen to 20 20 egotistical specials, okay, that I'm supposed to be like, whoa, wow, wow. You know what I mean? It's like you sit down and you're held captive, you know, by some restaurants. Like, you can't talk to your friends because they're constantly telling you what's going on in the restaurant. And I'm like, I don't need to know all this stuff, man. I go, I, if I, if I, if I want to look into your restaurant, I want to find out where the chef's from or, like, what he loves and all this kind of stuff, I'll look into it on my own. Don't put me through that every time I come into your place. That's, a, that's, a, that's another thing that I never really understood. Like, we don't do that. I, have, I forbid my people from trying to sell anything at the table. Never there's no upselling there is no selling period there's explaining there's cajoling there's you know pushing people you know towards things that you might want them to have because you think they, that they're going to like it more you know what i'm saying but there's there's no upselling there's no selling that whole atmosphere ruins the hospitality experience for me i don't like it when i go out to eat i i mean immediately i'm like look i know what i want i'm just going to order this this and this and this I'm going to pour my own wine, you know, cuz I don't want to be interrupted. You know, what I'm saying it's like, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I don't mean to be a dick, but it's like I'm eating here. I'm with my friends. I'm not going to let you take over this, you know, meal for me here. You know what I'm saying? That's how I am and that's how I, that's how I operate. So, so,
0: I I had no idea um cuz, you know, a lot of people uh, I interview have a book that I can just like stock them. So I had no idea what I was walking into when I came yeah. here. And I'm always looking for what is this person doing right in the world that's really carrying them through? It's it's obvious, now it's trust. Yeah. I mean, it started trust. out with a yeah. trust of yourself. Trusting the clients. First, trusting, trusting yourself. Yeah. Well, where, that's hard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is yeah. hard, but yeah. obviously at some point, you decided to take the leap into opening a restaurant. Yeah. Most restaurants fail, yeah. but you trusted yourself, and you probably even tr- gave yourself permission to fail if that's what happened. Yeah. And you trust yourself to design the place. You trust the employees, everyone around you, and then you trust the... Co- I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's blatantly... It's in yes. in your face almost yes. Yes. that trust is one of the yes. main things that it's carries through. a gesture, you through. a big gesture yeah.
1: that everybody can feel, and it puts the burden a little bit on them also, you know, because I I made the first gesture, you know? I made the first gesture. I, I reached out my hand. You know, I said that. And, you know, my first restaurant was named Frank, not Frank's, Okay. Because that's what I wanted. I wanted a frank restaurant. Frank, honest, clean, you know, no bullshit, very sincere. And that's really what I've done ever since. They've all been just like that concept. Just frank. It's a frank restaurant. That's it. It's very simple. I was going to call it either kitchen table or I was going to call it frank. Because I just wanted it to be, you know, the experience I had at my, at my, at my, at my family tables, where everything was good and there was, no, there was nothing you could do wrong at the table. You know what I mean? It was like, we're going we're gonna to eat, you know, and we're going to get down and dirty here and this is really great food and we're going to yell at the table and laugh and we're going to make noise and you know stuff like that. And also, you know, Frank was purposely tight, everybody purposely right next to each other so that you'd get to know each other. So that this is New York City. I always felt like the most fun places were the places where I was jammed in. And I and I had to talk to the person right next to me because their food just came and it's inches away from my face. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I'm like, wow, that looks really good. I gotta have that. You know what I mean? Like that feeling of community because of proximity. I loved it, and I was like, I, I really, I really want that. And I put one of the first communal tables in at Frank restaurant. A lot of people in in the in 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 the beginning looked at looked at us like they like like we were nuts. Like, how am I gonna sit with someone else? You know what I'm saying? We were like, just do it. Don't worry about it. The food was so cheap and the and it was so convivial in there, you know what I mean, that people just did it. Like they just, you know, took a chance. And to this day, and I just did this on, you know, social media, so many people have met each other there that it's become literally like something much huger than I could ever imagine. Over 20 years of forcing people to sit right next to each other relationships, kids, marriages. It's unbelievable. You have, have some marriages? Oh, tons of them, dude. We have like hundreds of them. It's it, its insane. We have kids to our credit. So many kids to our credit. We have so many people that come in for their anniversaries that like, like just, I'm getting chills right now. It's, it's so amazing. They they come in, they're so in love with the place. They literally met there. They used to live in the neighborhood. Now they live in Jersey. They live in Connecticut, whatever it is. They come back every single year. We're doing a, a promotion right now, you know, for you know Valentine's Day. Where if you tell me your story of how you met up at, at any of my places, I'm gonna buy you dinner before Valentine's Day because that means so much to me. Just tell us the story. Send it in. Put it in a post. Send it if you're a little shy. Send it to me in an email, and. You know, obviously, I. You know, how could you lie about that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not even worried. It'd be about like that. the person stealing, Honestly, stealing you, from the gas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you did lie about it, I'd be like, "Wow, that's pretty cool. You just wrote me a whole f- made up story about my restaurant. I'm giving you a free meal too." You know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, how, do, how, how the hell do I ever lose? You know, like uh, you know, in those situations, you <laughs> that's going to so?
0: be a new customer too. Exactly.
1: It, it, it's like they can't believe I'm so generous and and I'm so trusting. That sometimes people try and take advantage of it because they think I'm full of shit, and then when I follow through completely, and even when I when I have an inkling that they're lying, I don't I, I don't let on to it. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know what? If that's what you want to do, we're gonna we're, we're, we're gonna go along with this. If you're gonna put this much energy into this, okay, I'm gonna believe you. And you know what's happened? Where people have come to me later and said, you know what? I can't believe that you did that for me. And I I have to be honest with you. I you know like I, it's it was all made up. It's happened a couple of times, and I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't really care. If you cared that much to put your your time into my place, you know, I can't even believe that you know that you would do that. I'm like, I've you could do no wrong.
0: I've been in that situation where, where <laughs> so where you just it just starts eating at you, right? It makes the bad <laughs> deed so much. But you worse. see what I mean about yeah. trust,
1: right? Because they, it's the same thing. It's that basket on top of the gas pump again. It's right there, and the money's in it, and it's a gesture. And if you take it, you're tainting yourself. You're, you know, that's good. Like you fear doing stuff like that. Even the worst thief fears taking a hundred dollars that's sitting around right a fucking table in front of them. You know what I'm saying? It's like because it just seems too easy. You know, you know, it's like, you know, it's really very, very hard. So, but you know, when we opened up Frank, it was like I was recreating my grandmother's house. That's what I was doing. I was recreating what it was like to go to see her in Corona Queens and how it felt when she would feed us. And when we would sit there and when we were at home with her and, you know, and and it was like easy food, it was delicious food, she was so passionate and so excited every time that we, you know, that we would come and it was literally recreating that with the simplest Italian food with my skill set because I was a, a technician in, you know, a scientist in the kitchen, I had... Taught myself everything from the time I was a little kid. I was obsessed with every detail about why everything worked. I mean, I went and I took chemistry for it. I did all kinds of things just so I would understand everything completely. So nothing, I could never make a mistake because I didn't know what was going on in the pan or in the pot or, you know, whatever it it was. So with all of that and the attitude of an Italian grandmother and that skill set and a low price point, it was like kryptonite for people. I mean, there was just you know they they were they were they were lining up and waiting so many hours because they wanted a piece of it. They wanted to to, to have that experience. I,
0: I didn't have food as a love in my life until way. I have a I have my best friend Reese, who's just an amazing cook. And uh, I didn't fall in love with food until I really saw him. And he'd he'd come over to my house with the groceries and just cook me uh, an amazing meal. And what a, what what a,
1: what, a, what, a, what, a, what an amazing gesture!
0: I exactly. And so I, I keep thinking about your parents going. What are you you you're going to be a servant? Yes. Right. But that's what cooking is. It's yes. like, it, uh, yes. I, service. I, I've had somebody tell me uh, that you know. Uh, being a servant isn't dishonorable like the words gotten tainted but it's like that's what the the samurai were they were like honoring this act of service and i mean and with food one thing i've been doing is really trying to work on gratitude and if you think about it food wasn't always around easily you know and Mm. so i'm not a i'm not a a say grace kind of guy but i did start appreciating the meal before I actually dug into it. Like
1: it was sure. just taken for granted yeah, and I'm, sure. I, I'm loving the habit. Um, well, you know what else it is to, you know, for me, I specifically chose these village too, because these are the people I wanted to feed. See, I think that's also a very important thing that a lot of chefs don't take into consideration is you should open somewhere where you love the community where you want to serve them because the service is way more natural that way and it's way more real you know what I'm saying it's like i picked my favorite neighborhood in manhattan on purpose because i like the people that live there and i want to cook for them and they're artists they're filmmakers you know these are the, this is that's that's who that's who i am that's who i want to be i i'm an artist too so i wanted to serve them inexpensive meals in a setting that they could collaborate, not be bothered by waiters, not be bothered by any any of that crap and sit down, have a great meal and collaborate and then keep coming back and 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 involve us in that, you know. That would I mean, you know, setting the stage for creation was a huge part of this for me. I was like, you know, cuz over the table is where all these things happen. I mean, having a meal with someone is where every relationship starts. I mean, who you eat with and who you're not willing to eat with. You know, it's a big deal. It's the same thing for me, who I'm willing to cook for, who I'm not willing to cook for. Not to disparage any other you know, neighborhoods here, but I wouldn't have done this on the Upper East Side. Not my type of clientele. I wouldn't have done it on anywhere else, really. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And it's like everyone's, everyone's you know, asking me, why don't you open here? Why don't you open here? Why don't you open here? Everything is so close and so and so tight and so beautiful for me where I am. Okay? I have a great system. Everyone's everyone's family. Everyone knows everybody. How can I how can I do any better than this?
0: I mean, every business right. should love who their customers well, yeah, are. I that mean, seems like obvious, unfair. but it, I think it gets lost it sometimes. It gets
1: lost. I mean a, a lot of guys don't even think about that. And that's why they end up in this weird like combative thing with their clients. And and you've seen those kind of restaurants, right? Like where well, you're like, what's going on here? Why are they why are they combative? Why are they combative with me here? This is a this is a restaurant experience. Hospitality. I mean like why do I feel you know and it comes right from the top. Usually it comes right from the owner, mostly from the chef a lot of times, because the chefs, chefs really haven't have this was something that I had to come to terms with also. I started out when I was cooking, I was also angry. I was like everyone should be grateful that I'm making them this food cuz I know how good I am, you know what I'm saying? You got to get rid of that. That just doesn't work. It just doesn't. You can you can't ever think that way that anyone is privileged to eat what you're making. It's like it's the wrong way, you know, the, you know to serve, it's the wrong way to cook for people. The energy's wrong and then that bleeds out into the waitstaff it bleeds out into the into the busboys it bleeds out into the hosts and that attitude is just a cancer it's just a cancer and was, i mean you, those restaurants end up closing yeah eventually they don't they don't make it and it's really sad because i've seen a lot of chefs that are very good and mean well that can't get out of their own way it's really sad i think
0: everyone's their worst enemy when you really think can't about get it yeah
1: their own way it's really sad it really is you've
0: been so generous with your time the way i like to end this is i like to think of i mean you started so young the normal prompt isn't quite (laughs) gonna work but if you weren't around anymore if you could just send a message to your boys here or to a young chef of just what you think is most important to living a life worth living to you know getting to the end of the road with as little regret as possible what what are the things you've picked up so far
1: well i would you know The most important thing is let go of the past and just live in the food. I like to call it the food moment. Like, in other words, you know, like this is we have food in front of us. I have people to eat it with, you know, that's I mean, what's better than that? No matter what. And as long as you concentrate on that, the moment always shines. And if the moment always, always shines, people are addicted to that. You know, they want to be around someone like that, that is just always in the moment and loving what they're doing. And that's it. That's the secret to everything. I mean, I, you know, it's, you don't have any control over anything else. So why bother, you know, why bother getting caught up in anything else? What we're eating right now is what's the most important thing. Eating is, you know, it's everything to everyone, really. You know, I mean... Sex is a close second, but I mean, you know, you eat a lot more than you, you know, than you have sex. So, you know, so you know, it's just important to stay in that moment and to enjoy the people around you. And be honest, you know, be blatantly honest always. I mean, I am. I mean, I don't see any point, you know, for sugarcoating anything. I really don't. Trust is, I mean, trusting, trusting people to be the best version of themselves forces them into a quagmire of like having to do that for you you know what i mean because you set the expectation for them you know and i do that every day almost without even trying with everyone that's around me because of how i am and that's why i've been able to you know you know to retain so many great employees and i've been able to retain so many you know so many really good clients and everyone knows why i do it because i love it and that's the real reason and everything else you know you can everything else can just fuck off as far as i'm concerned
0: thank you for your time my pleasure i gotta cut this in the beginning
1: because i th- think i forgot to ask <laughs> go ahead no problem but uh so so frank who are you i'm uh f- my name is Fr- frank prisonzano i was born in flushing queens and now i live here in manhattan and i'm just a regular chef that loves people and loves to cook that-
0: frank Prisanzano, everyone is not that amazing If you're like me and need some help with cooking, I highly recommend checking out his Instagram at Frank Lots of tips, lots of meals, recipes. It's all there. Totally free. Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Human. My name is Sam Lamont. Don't forget to review us on iTunes. It literally only takes a minute. And if you can, become a patron. Patreon.com slash HelloHuman. Until next time, have a great day.